to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. People wonder today, well, how come there doesn't seem to be as much power in the church? And we read in the Bible about the miracles, and we read about the powerful preaching and the radical transformations, and well, why isn't that happening today? Well, I think to a large degree, it's because that flow of the Spirit, that flow of the water of life is blocked. It's blocked in many churches, and it's blocked in the lives of individual Christians. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis chapter 26, verses 15 and 18, in a message titled, Digging Again the Wells of Water. Now, here's Pastor Brian. All right, well, let's open our Bibles once again to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. And we're going to look at just two verses this evening here from the 26th chapter. Verses 15 and 18. Now, the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which Isaac's father had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, and they filled them with earth. Now, verse 18, and Isaac dug again the wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. We'll leave it right there. In this account of Isaac digging again the wells of his father that the Philistines had stopped up, we have a picture of what sometimes happens with the church collectively and Christians individually. When the philosophies and priorities of the world come in and stop the flow of the living water of the Spirit. And so that's what we want to consider. How the enemies of the Lord, and of course in those days and throughout Israel's history, or much of their history, the Philistines were their enemies. And they are a picture or a type of Satan and his agents who are still to this very day working against the Lord and working against the advance of the kingdom. And like the Philistines of old, they're trying to stop the flow of living water. And they do it today like the Philistines did back then by filling the wells with the rubble and the rubbish of the world. And this is what happens so often. It happens to churches individually. It happens to church movements. And of course, it happens to people as Christians individually. So let's look at some of the ways that the enemies of the Lord, Satan and his agents, are trying to stop the flow of living water, first from the church, and then secondly, we'll look at it more 
individually. The church throughout its long history has sadly always seemed to have been enticed by the philosophy of the world. And you can go back to New Testament times and you find that that battle was already raging. I think of Paul when he wrote to the Colossians and he warned them about philosophy and vain deceit. And as you look at church history, you find that the enemy has infiltrated the church so often through the philosophy of the world. And the same is true today. I think there are three dominant philosophies that are invading the church today. The first one, we might look at it as the psychologizing of the church. Back in, I think probably back in the 1980s, maybe maybe a bit earlier, but there was a big thrust and a big emphasis with psychology into the evangelical church. And, you know, it, it has so permeated much of the church today that there are many people who no longer even recognize it as an issue or see it as a problem. Now, when I'm talking about the psychologizing of the church, what am I referring to? Well, I'm referring to the church embracing the idea that Christianity was primarily about self-help or self-fulfillment or self-improvement or self-love. And that message came in very powerfully uh, back in the decade of the 80s, and it has so permeated the church, as I said, that today many churches are, are actually built on more of a psychological model than a biblical model. And many of the people sitting in congregations Sunday after Sunday are getting messages that are more psychologically oriented than they are biblically oriented. And this is some of that rubble that we're talking about. This is the kind of thing, the philosophy that comes in and inevitably it will, it will quench the flow of the spirit of God. Because of course it's man-centered, it's, it's man's wisdom over against God's wisdom. And not only is it that, but it's wrong. The emphasis of the Christian life is not self. Christ, of course, is the emphasis of the Christian life. And the Christian church exists to glorify God, not to promote man. But sadly, that has happened. But there's also what we might call the postmodernizing of the church. And where the psychologizing of the church, as I said, um, the big thrust was in the decade of the 80s, currently, we are in the midst of this attempt by some to postmodernize the church. Now, the main tenet of postmodern philosophy is that there is no such thing as truth, or there's no such thing as absolute truth. Now, those evangelical postmodernists, 
They haven't gone as far as to say there is no truth, but what they do say is that no one can really know the truth. So they're crafty a little bit. They, they say, well, we don't deny that there's absolute truth. We, we just don't believe that anybody can know exactly what it is. They, they can't attain to it. And this has made serious inroads to the church today, these kinds of ideas, that we can't really know the truth. And what this translates into practically is that doctrine is no longer important. We shouldn't really emphasize doctrine, and we certainly shouldn't squabble over doctrine. Doctrine, historically, they say, is is caused nothing but trouble. And so there's, there's a de-emphasizing of doctrine. They say it's not about orthodoxy, it's about orthopraxy. And orthopraxy, orthodoxy means correct belief, and orthopraxy means uh, correct behavior. So they put the emphasis on behavior, but then they limit the behavior to just a few things. It's primarily about Christians in community pursuing social justice. This is huge in many churches today, especially the churches that are attracting the younger generation, emphasizing these kinds of things. What they say is the church has failed to eradicate poverty, ignorance, inequality, and even environmental problems because it's been too heavenly-minded. This is the big accusation. The church has been too heavenly-minded. They say we shouldn't worry about getting people ready for heaven, but rather we should be working to bring heaven to earth. And what they're essentially calling for is a reinventing of the church for the 21st century. So we've got the psychologizing of the faith, we've got the postmodernizing of the faith, but I would say one other one is the evolutionizing of the faith or of the church. You know, my, I mentioned a, a few weeks back, my, um, my son-in-law a few weeks ago did a debate uh, with another science teacher from another university, and... Mike happened to mention in the course of the debate that there were 700 scientists who had signed uh, a document. They had signed a document questioning the validity of Darwin's theories. And in the, in the course of the debate, as Mike was presenting his case, he, he threw that out. 700 scientists have you know, signed this document. When the other guy's turn came for him to go ahead and you know, give his spiel. This is what he said. He said, and it's true, 11,000 clergymen have signed a document in support of Darwin's theories. So you see what I'm talking about? We got a serious problem. The philosophy of the world, the evolutionizing of the faith. As you know, we were just in England. We were just in London. And as many of you know, we do... a. Uh, uh, an annual festival in London. And we were there, or not in London, we do an annual festival in England, but we were there in London and uh, I picked up this little brochure that's advertising this new 
event in London. It's a Christian outreach. And as I started to look through this thing, I thought, this is amazing. These guys have taken our festival and they've ripped us off. They're, they're basically copying what we've been doing. And as, you know, we call it Creation Fest, and one of the things that we do is we emphasize God as the creator and uh, the Genesis account as being the, the actual account of creation and so forth. And so I noticed in a number of the, you know, they're having a lot of different seminars, but quite a few of them were science in the Bible type of seminars. But I noticed in each and every case, it was a theistic evolutionist who was teaching it. So I thought, you know, they ripped off our format, but they're, they're going the other direction with it. As we're emphasizing God as a creator and, and, you know, the biblical picture not really having room for evolution, they're bringing in the idea of theistic evolution. So we see that this, this is happening. This is, the church is more or less inundated with these kinds of things these days, the world's philosophies. But then there's also the world's priorities. What are the world's priorities? Well, there are many, but I'd say the top priority in the world is pleasure. Most people in the world today are looking for pleasure. They're looking for comfort. They're looking for success. They're looking to be happy. And and many churches today have embraced that sort of a thing as well. And that's the emphasis. And so quite often the services are very entertainment oriented. And in some places, you know, the idea is that you wouldn't even feel like you're in church at all. You wouldn't even know that you're there, except someone might, you know, at some point say something about God, but they wouldn't say anything that's offensive or anything that might be bothersome to you. So we see that the church has, in many ways, been inundated with these kinds of things. But the uh, priority of the world, pleasure, comfort, success, and, and much of the preaching today is about that sort of thing as well. You know, big emphasis on success in many, many ministries, many seminars that are, you know, advertising how you can become more successful. Now, there's nothing the matter with being successful. I'm not, I'm not against success, but that's not the emphasis. That's not the message of the church. If God happens to make you successful in your endeavors, praise the Lord. But that's not what's to come forth from the pulpit. That's not to be the emphasis of the ministry. Again, of course, the emphasis is to be the gospel. And so this is happening with the church, but then as you bring it down onto the the level of people individually, of course, there's the possibility that uh, on a personal level, we could embrace these philosophies or priorities. And many have done so. But know this, when you embrace these things, you inevitably will stop the flow of the Spirit to some degree. And in some cases, you will stop it entirely. And people wonder today, well, how come 
there doesn't seem to be as much power in the church. And, you know, we read in the Bible about the miracles and we read about the powerful preaching and the radical transformations. And, you know, well, why isn't that happening today? Well, I don't think that it's not happening at all. But obviously, it's not happening to the extent that we read about it in the pages of the New Testament. And I think to a large degree, it's because that flow of the Spirit, that flow of the water of life is is blocked. It's blocked in many churches. And it's blocked in the lives of individual Christians. And so if we embrace these things personally, but there are other things also that can block the flow of the Spirit. The enemy is always prowling about and he's looking to throw some rubble or some rubbish into the well to block the flow. And, you know, he will come along and he will try to get us caught up in things. He'll try to get us caught up in in maybe hatred towards somebody. He'll maybe try to tempt us toward, toward jealousy or bitterness, or unforgiveness, or covetousness, or lust. These are all different types of rubble that the devil tries to use to stop up the well. But here's the most important question. What do we do? What do we do? Well, we must do what Isaac did. We must do what Isaac did, as it says here in verse 18. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham. Now, in digging the well, what did he have to do to begin with? Well, he had to get the rubble out. You know, it's interesting, as it states here in the the 15th verse, I just, it's so picturesque. I mean, of course, it would be. It's it's filling in a well with dirt with the earth, but that just speaks. I've got it underlined in red in my Bible because this is it. It's the earth. It's the world. How do we get the flow of the Spirit back? How do we experience? You know, we talk about the need for a revival. We talk about the need for an outpouring of the Spirit. Well, how is that going to happen? You know, we talk about the condition of our world, which is dire, We think about the condition of our own country, and more and more we see a country that at one time was established to a large degree on Christian values and principles that were were rapidly, very, very rapidly, moving away from all of those things. What can we do about that? Can we do anything about it? Well, of course, the reason this is happening is because people are moving things in that direction. So the way to change it and move it back in another direction is through people as well. You see, once a person's heart is changed, then their direction changes. And we need to see a bunch of hearts change, don't we? How, how are we going to see that happen? What, what can we do? Well, I think, first of all, we've got to deal with the rubble and the rubbish in our own lives and in, and in the church itself. You know, I was as I was reading through First Peter this morning, again, coming across that passage where Peter states there that judgment must begin in the house of God. And a lot of times, you know, we're pointing the finger at Washington, we're pointing the finger at Sacramento and all of that, but sometimes we need to kind of point the finger back at ourselves and say, well, where am I at? And what am I doing? 
I, I was telling the guys in a staff meeting today, I was listening to the radio yesterday and there was just an advertisement that was on and, and it was a Chevron advertisement, as a matter of fact. And they were talking about, you know, their historical connection with California as a business. And they were talking about the significance of California in regard to influence. And they were talking about California being such a place of influence that, you know, generally speaking, the way California goes, the nation will go. And to some extent, the way California goes, different parts of the world will go as well. And I, and I know that's a fact, but it was interesting as I heard it yesterday on the radio, you know, I got to thinking, man, we have so many good churches in California. If you think about it, we have got great churches just in Orange County. Think of all the great churches we have. And I was thinking, you know, if something could happen in California, a, a real move of the Spirit of God, boy, the potential, you know, if it happens in California, it could, it could permeate the whole nation. And it could go beyond that because, of course, we have many uh, immigrant people from all different places around the world. Just think if they got touched and then they'd go back to their countries or send news or, you know, whatever. But how, how can something like this happen? Well, again, I think it, we have to come back to ourselves first. We have to start with ourselves. And we have to deal with the rubble. Like Isaac did, we have to begin to dig the wells once again. And where do we start? We've got to throw those things out. You're never going to get to the water until you get all of the earth out, until you get all the rubble, until you get all the rubbish out. And so that's where we start. That's where we start collectively as a church. That's where churches start or, or movements. That's where we start individually. I think we often do this, and I'm as guilty as anybody else. We often are sort of looking for somebody else to start. You know, if they would just do this, if they would uh, stop that, if they would get their act together, at, when in reality, I'm not really responsible for them and I can't really control them, but what I can do is I can take care of my, my own particular situation. So we begin by digging again, we begin by throwing the rubble and the rubbish out. In our own lives, we do a survey of our lives and we begin to just say, Lord, where am I at? And what's going on? And what is, you know, where did this come from? And is this of you? To begin to ask the Holy Spirit to really search our hearts and to show us if there are things in our lives that need to be thrown out. Now, in some cases, we don't need to even pray a whole lot about that, do we? Because the Bible's already told us that those things shouldn't be in our lives. So we don't have to pray about whether we should get rid of it. We just got to get rid of it. But then, you know, there are times when we can, all of us, be unaware to some extent. Let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. 
One of my favorite authors is a man named Mark Sayers, and he's written a fantastic book called A Non-Anxious Presence. And in the book, Mark talks about us living in a gray zone. And what he means by a gray zone is that we're living in a time between two eras. One era is passing, but the other era is not completely upon us yet. And that leads to social, cultural, and sometimes even personal disorientation. And so this book is a fantastic book that will help us keep our bearings during this time by keeping our focus on Jesus and what God is doing in the world despite what is going on around us. So a non-anxious presence is my recommendation. I know that you will be blessed by it. Again, this month's resource is a book titled A Non-Anxious Presence, How a Changing and Complex World Will Create a Remnant of Renewed Christian Leaders by Mark Sayers. You can order the book A Non-Anxious Presence by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book A Non-Anxious Presence by Mark Sayers to give you a clear picture of how personal renewal happens after a crisis. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.